Welcome to the Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. Today, I am your host, Mike Bruner, and in this episode, we are chatting with James Staley, the usual host of this podcast and owner of Tin Robot Games. Tin Robot Games is the publisher of Tanks But No Thanks, Queen of Scots, the card game, and now Nutty Squirrels of the Oakwood Forest, which launched on Kickstarter yesterday. James, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Mike, thanks for having me. <laughs> it's bet. a role reversal. It's weird being on this side of the uh, of the desk, but uh, I'm glad it's you and not me today, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, your campaign is off to a great start. Um, it funded in the first day, which I'm sure is a huge relief. Um, and it I'll say it in Canadian dollars because Canadian dollars <laughs> it sounds bigger. It always sounds bigger. That's what we do on this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, so you're up to almost $14,000 Canadian. Yeah. Uh, your goal was just over or 10,000 10, Canadian, Canadian yeah. right? So well on your way. How yeah. Are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling, uh, I am feeling ecstatic. It is, you know, one of those things and anybody's launched a game and I know you've launched a game and you've launched a game twice, the same game. So, you know, that kind of feeling where, the difference between absolute horror <laughs> that you're not going to hit your goal uh, and um, elation when you when when you you're doing a campaign where you get over that first kind of hurdle of okay it's funded obviously you're not going to stop you know going to keep going you know full guns a blazing to try to get as much funding as we can but you know just being able to take that side relief that okay we we hit our goal like, we know that there is a game that's coming out now it's just a question of which game is coming? Is it the, you know, the base game or how many of these stretch cards can we kind of build into this game and, and put in that final version? So that's, what's got me really excited. Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm excited for it. Um, and my kids are excited for it. They really like that squirrel in your campaign video that says nutty squirrels. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch in the, in the video. Uh, so if you have, if you're listening to this episode and haven't seen the campaign video for nutty squirrels, go check it out. Um, it's got a nice feel to it in addition to showing some of the gameplay. So yeah, we're going kind that. of for that Quaker, uh, the Quaker Oats guys voice in the, uh, in the overall kind of narration. And then, uh, yeah, that kind of high pitched nutty squirrels at the end just kind of jolts you back uh, in case you're falling asleep. So <laughs> why don't you tell us a, a bit about your game? Tell us about nutty squirrels. And while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and pull the campaign up. Yeah, sure. So, um, so nutty squirrels is a, uh, two to six player uh, competitive game where you are essentially squirrels that are navigating this tree. So you're running up and down the branch of the tree. You're trying to gather acorns as fast as you can, uh, be essentially before the winter hits. So um, the first person to gather 20 acorns wins the game. Uh, as a tree is kind of the, the, the cards on the tree are, are turning, which represents the leaves of the tree are turning. Uh, that represents kind of the fall going into winter and you get to a point where there's just no more leaves that turn over. That also signals the end of the game. If no one's got to 20 points at that point, whoever has the highest score uh, essentially wins. Um, there's some pressure lock elements to it. Uh, so you have to kind of make a strategic decision. Do I keep going for more acorns or do I carry more acorns on me while I'm trying to gather other things such as, you know, special power-ups that allow you to navigate the tree easier or do you go back to the nest and, and bury? Because if you don't bury an acorn, there's a chance it could be stolen. There's a chance 
uh, it could fall and be lost. So you want to try to get the uh, acorns buried in the, in the dirt as fast as possible. So there's this pressure lock element. There's a little bit of take that. I think one of the previewers we had actually said it's not too take that-y, uh, but there are some hints of take that in it, and uh, which gives it some kind of excitement and dynamic with the other players at the table. Uh, you can play ages eight and up. Uh, question I often you get asked because the, the artwork is really well done. It's done by uh, Mitch DeSlep out of, uh, out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and uh, did an amazing job. But when you have these fun kind of cartoon characters, you know, the natural inclination is to say, well, is this a, is this a kid's game? Well, it's a game that's meant to be played by all ages, ages eight and up. I wouldn't necessarily go much younger than that unless you take out things like the, the power cards and so forth to simplify the game because there is some complexity there that uh, is, is better suited to people that are a little bit older. Um, but it's, uh, it's a real blast to play. It's very quick. So if you're playing two people, you can get through a game in, say, 15 minutes. Six players, the game could last, you know, 45 minutes. Um, we do have a, a solo mode that we designed in this game as well. And in the, the approach we took on this, uh, and this is actually some of the feedback I had. And one of the great things about the board game binge podcast is the ability to talk to all these publishers and designers and just really smart people and get their advice. And one thing I've done over the past, uh, almost year now, as we've been doing these interviews is usually off air for another 10 minutes after the interview, I just start grilling the person on questions on things that I'm just interested in trying to learn this process as best as I can. And uh, Joe Slack, actually, uh, who does the, um, uh, has a whole course based on board game design. He's written books and so forth on it. He and I were talking about solo play. And his advice at the time was, you know, start tapping into the solo community. Um, if you create a solo game, don't just slap like as an afterthought saying, oh, we have a solo version and slap kind of try to do some kind of AI. And there's some games out there that do have kind of the artificial intelligence component to kind of, you know, manage the other players. But he said, you know, truly, if you want people to, to really adopt it and say, yeah, this is, this is a great solo game, make it an actual solo game that this designed properly. So what we did is we actually took the components of the game and created kind of like almost like a separate type of a game. So it goes from being kind of a run and gun, gather as many acorns as you can, steal acorns from other people, power up your squirrel, goes from that mode over to more of a kind of a procedurally generated uh, maze that you're trying to navigate. And then the powers, instead of you discovering powers, they're actually in a market. So as you're gathering acorns, that becomes your currency. And then the decision, strategic decision you're trying to make is, do I spend some of my currency to get power-ups that allow me to then better navigate this maze? But if I do that, I might not actually reach the 20 acorn goal because you're trying to still bury those 20 acorns. So it creates uh, just a completely different play style, which, uh, which we really love and got some really great uh, feedback on as well. Cool. And is this the first time you've designed a solo game? Uh, a solo game? Yes, actually it is. Um, so with the other two games you had, one, uh, the uh, Tanks But No Thanks is a game that I designed like 25 years ago. And um, just minor updates to that in the current version we have now is just very small changes we made versus what was done 25 years ago to what we actually launched on Kickstarter two years ago. Uh, so that one's like a two to four player skirmish game. It's always designed that way. So that one wasn't really solo mode appropriate. And uh, <laughs> Queen to, of Scots. Tough to have a skirmish with one <laughs> yeah. player, right? <laughs> yeah, beating yourself up. It's great. <laughs> Self-abuse. Uh, and then Queen of Scots, the, uh, the card game I launched um, last year, for those who follow that campaign, 
Uh, that's a game, a card game I played with my grandmother uh, ever since I was a kid. And she played with her parents when she was a kid. So she was turning 102. And this is a game that literally been in the family for about 100 years. So I reskinned it to put this kind of Queen of Scots uh, theme on it and, uh, and launched that kind of in honor of her on, on her birthday last year. So I didn't really want to change that game kind of much past the way it was originally played. And we still play every day with her, to, you know, even today. Um, so this is the first one where we've done kind of like a solo mode. And I think going forward for sure, uh, is something that I'm going to want to build into games going forward right from, from the get-go. Yeah. I think when you can, it's a good thing to, to throw in to appeal to, uh, that audience. And I know I've with Everdale, that's a game that I played solo, um, just to kind of figure out what is this solo experience that everybody's talking about. Yeah. And Sometimes I just want to do something that's engaging my mind and I don't want to be looking at a screen. So a solo mode is a, is a good option. And I know we've got Allison Parkland in the uh, lobby and she, I know she's played a few solo games um, herself. So. Oh, sweet. Well, you got to think COVID too, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're, we're in a very different world right now than we were a year ago. And I know myself, most of my game playing was at a weekly meetup. And again, shout out to the new market uh, board gamers, um, great group of people, but we'd meet at a restaurant or a cafe and there'd be 20 some odd people to show up per week and always different people. So a great chance to socialize and talk. And that was where I played my games. You go from that to lockdowns and not being able to leave your house. And for some people who are in smaller households or maybe even live alone, uh, it kind of, unless you're going over to tabletop simulator or some kind of, or board game arena, some kind of digital format, um, you know, you need some other options, right? So I think that, that the appetite for solo versions of games is just going to keep, uh, keep growing. Yeah. And if you've played a digital game, a solo game, a real solo game is better than a digital game, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. You want, it's more tactile too, right? And um, yeah. yeah, it's just a better player experience for sure. Okay. So in your lineup of published games, you've yep. got a game about tanks, yeah. a game about... <laughs> Queens and royalty. Yeah. And now you've got squirrels. Yes. <laughs> so what was the inspiration behind this game? Um, you know, this one was kind of funny. I was uh, like many people on a daily basis surfing YouTube. <laughs> and I came across this video. I was just going down the rabbit hole one day and I came across this. Uh, I was watching different animal videos and came across a video on uh, squirrels and how they are raiding each other's nests. And it showed this burrow where you have a, a squirrel going and burying all the acorns, you know, going through the forest, burying all of its acorns. And it showed a squirrel go and bury uh, in its nest. And as soon as it left, this other acorn, other, uh, sorry, squirrel is sitting there waiting, ran, runs in the burrow, jams its cheeks as fast as it can full of the acorns. The other guy just dropped off and then runs out and steals the acorns. And I thought, wow, that'd be a great game. <laughs> that'd be a great game. So the first kind of in, instance of this game was literally actually a board game. So it was a square board that folded out. It was a tree, still top-down version of a tree. And the original kind of idea that I was playing with the kids was you have your burrow, you're running out onto the tree, gathering acorns, running back to your burrow, and everybody had their own burrow on the board. So it was like a two to four player game. And when you run back uh, to your burrow, you bury your acorns. But as soon as you left, someone else could run your burrow and steal your acorns. And it, it was fun, but the problem was is it was too take daddy, where right away I started seeing that dynamic with the kids, right? Where one is awesome target. One person is getting targeted regularly. And for me, I'm like, whoa, okay, that's, 
that's something I've kind of made a, uh, a focus on in my games to try to take out of, of games I design going forward. Cause I think you need to have, especially with gateway games. I think when you have new people coming into the industry or you're trying to get people interested in the games for the first time, the last thing you want them to do is have a bad player experience. Cause they'll just attribute that to all board games. And they won't want to play any board games. So I wanted to, you know, have a, just a, just a taste of take that, but not too much that it, uh, it got people upset at the same time I was playing, um, uh, pandemic contagion, which is one of my favorite games. And it's the only one that's not a co-op, right? So you're, you're playing against each other. And, uh, I liked how, uh, on their little marker boards, you had little cubes where you could kind of keep track of, uh, of your score. And then at my, my meetup, there was somebody brought a game. There was saboteur. Um, there was, I can't remember the name of this game, but it, your kids basically on this playground trying to essentially sabotage other kids. It's a weird, bizarre game, but the board was made with the cards. And so every time we played like three or four uh, versions of this game, and every time it was completely different because the cards, you shuffle the cards and like, it's a completely new board every time you played. So I kind of put those two things together. I said, okay, I think if we can create the tree where you're shuffling the cards and you're dealing out the board every time, the play experience is going to bring a lot of variability every single time you play. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and then on the actual player boards themselves, uh, you have this kind of fun kind of aspect where you can literally have uh, a, a squirrel where you're jamming acorns into their cheeks, right? I know there's people that are listening and I can't see, but and we got these player boards with cutouts for the cheeks and the little cubes go right in the cheeks. And it it's just fun and cute and a way for you to kind of navigate the board. So you have your player board and then you have the board that's built uh, on the table. So that was kind of the the genesis of this. And then just with a lot of, lot of play testing, uh, we got to where we are today. And uh, again, I want to shout out to the new market board game meetup group because that was the first time when I brought a prototype from the game crafter, which again, shout out to green crafter. Great guys. Um, I'm not, I'm not paid by them. It's just, I was really happy with the <laughs> prototypes that we had from them. Um, when I was playing uh, with, you know, with that meetup and people were walking by saying, Oh, what's that game? Oh, can I try the, can I try on the next, next round? we knew we had something special there, right? We're like, you know, when people want to play a game because what they see in front of them looks kind of interesting, that's where like, okay, this is not just a fun idea. This is something that we could maybe turn into our next Kickstarter. So our original plan was the game that I'm probably going to launch either in the fall or beginning of next year was going to be the next game I was going to launch. And that got pushed out further so we could focus on this one. For Nutty Squirrels, it plays one to six. Yes. Is there, a, is there an optimal spot, do you think, or... Does it just uh, play a little bit different at each player count? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that, no, I don't think so. I, I, I really think it, it, it's very balanced across a different player count. Um, if I was to compare that to um, the Tanks but No Thanks game, that one is 1,000% played best at four players. It is crazy fun at four players. Um, two players, it, it's fun. It's, it's more like kind of like a chess kind of, um, approach at, at a two player level, um, more take daddy at, uh, at three player before is just an absolute hoot. Like it's immense chaos pretty much went from when you start. <laughs> it's just within like 60 seconds, someone's attacking somebody. Like it's, it, the, the game is basically take that. Like you're just, you're just targeting people, which is, which is fantastic. And somebody's targeting you. So you start targeting somebody else with nutty squirrels of the Oakwood forest. We just want to make sure that, um, it was balanced at all play levels. So, uh, I enjoy it as just a fun, casual two-player game. At two players is great because it's short enough that you can do tournament style. 
So you can say, okay, let's do best two or three or best three or five. Cool. And I know your tanks, but no thanks game was a game you designed 25 years ago or so. Yeah. And then the Queen of Scots game was also one that your grandma had been playing for a while. Yeah. How long ago did you start working on Nutty Squirrels? That's an excellent question. Um, Nutty Squirrels, I'd say, is about uh, maybe two years from like the very beginning uh, to where, where we are now. Um, it was kind of something I was working on like literally right after the, the tanks campaign finished, I had this idea. So as that campaign was kind of winding down is when I first started kind of toying around with this idea of the board and the idea of, you know, raiding people's <laughs> burrows for acorns. And the, the first kind of, I'd say playable prototype that we had, which was about 95% of what the game is now, I would say it was about a year ago when we were at that point. A little, little bit more than a year ago. It was, it was in the fall of, of last year. So still lots of time to a lot of plays in person before kind of COVID hit. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it was a quick turnaround. Usually games take a lot longer than that. A lot of designers know. I don't know how long you took you to develop your, uh, your queen bee, but it, it's a long process, right? Because something you think is right, and then you have other people play it and they break it, right? They break the game. Mm -hmm. And you say, oh, okay, I didn't, I didn't realize that was an issue. Or you reach a situation where you're playing something that you think is great and no one else likes it, <laughs> right? So you got two choices. Do you say, well, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to be on my lonely island and I'm going to sell this to one person, which is me. Or do you make changes to try to make it more um, adaptable and you know available to other people? So that's kind of part of the process, but this one was, it was a pretty fast turnaround for sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I would say for a third game, I think a two year turnaround isn't a bad turnaround. If this was your first campaign, it's, it's hard to develop a game and build an audience and get, do everything else to be, yeah. have a successful campaign. But with the third game, I think that's. Yeah. And I think that, um, I think you make a, a, a point there that even aside from the development of the game, right? And I, I think this is important for people who are looking at getting into you know, developing games and publishing their own games. It's not just about the game itself. That is actually a small fraction of the entire process, right? So you really need to understand the manufacturing side and, and you need to understand, well, okay, how is this going to be distributed what are the costs associated with that so that you can cost it properly? Um, building an audience takes time. Um, so that's something you have to say. And I think I saw it was, it might maybe have been Bebo that mentioned this on her uh, Twitter feed uh, this past week, where she said, you know, someone had asked her, you know, when should you start uh, working on, when should I start promoting my game? And she's like, before you start making your game, <laughs> you should be, you should start working on promoting it. You should start promoting it right from the very beginning. So that's one thing we did on this. I actually do want to put a shout out to uh, Bobby, the board game hacker, uh, Bobby uh, Fiorentino uh, from the board game club. Great Facebook group. If you're not part of it, you should join it. He, um, he he's somebody that really helped a lot with my prior two campaigns and just kind of was the person that really, when I got into the industry, reached out an olive branch to me saying, Hey, you know, how can I help you on here about your game? Let's do some interviews. Let's talk about it. So he and I, um, talked about a year ago and said, you know, why don't we kind of collaborate? So he's come on as a collaborator on our Kickstarter campaign. So right from the beginning, we were doing videos on the artwork 
right? So, you know, as Mitch DeSlep would send us, um, you know, drawings and say, kind of, here's what I'm thinking. We'd put that out to the, you know, to the group and say, hey, you know, here's what we're thinking of for this squirrel. It could go this way, it could go that way. So we had a lot of those dialogues where um, people could actually be involved in that process. And when they're involved in the process, then they feel like they've kind of contributed, right? And there's a greater chance that they're going to be with you when you actually launch your campaign. Yeah, agree. So what was your funding goal for the tanks, but no thanks campaign? Was it also 10,000? That one was 10,000. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was looking at that one and comparing it to this one. This one funded on the very first day. And I think the tanks, but no thanks campaign funded on the very last day. Right. Yeah. So that's a, that's a painful 28 days or however long it is to finally get your funding goal at the end. What do you think you did differently between that campaign and this campaign to make that change? So you fund on the first day rather than the last day. That is a, uh, that is an immense question to answer. It really is. I think so on the tanks uh, game, it was excruciating. Right. Uh, and you know this from your first campaign, yeah. right? Like you just, it sucks. Not you just want to crawl in a hole somewhere and never be like, it, it just, it is horrifying. Right. That campaign, the problem was that um, I was very new coming into the industry, very naive, quite frankly. And this is the one thing that I'm really hoping that the board game binge podcast can help other people with. And this is one of the reasons you and I started this podcast was to help other people learn from our mistakes, right? We had a great podcast with you when you talked about a lot of your mistakes and what you did differently for the second time around. For me coming in, didn't have an audience, thought that crowdfunding was more crowdfinding, right? And mm -hmm. you know, Kickstarter is a crowdfunder. It's not a crowdfinder. You have to find the crowd. So um, coming into that campaign, we also had uh, one of the learnings, for example, from uh, Jamie Stagmeyer. Again, I encourage anybody to go to uh, StoneMeyerGames.com. If you're into game design, you want to launch a game, go to his blog, read his blog. He's got lessons that are mapped out for you, like literally step-by-step step, with even links to resources and stuff. Do yourself a favor, read that. I went and did a lot of that. I read his book as well. And one of the things that, that Jamie mentioned in his book is he said, the mistake a lot of uh, people make when they're doing a crowdfunding campaign is they think about how much money can they make? And you should really be focused on how much money do I need when you're doing your campaign. So on the tanks, but no thanks game, again, some of the research I've done, I thought, oh, 10, 000, we should be able to hit 10,000. It's not that bad of a, of a target. But we didn't need really need 10,000. We had funds that we were, had kind of scrolled away to put into it. So we had about $2,500 to put into it. So we were in the situation where we were ready to go. We had the campaign going. And as we started getting near the end of the campaign, it's decision time. Do you yank the campaign or do you push it over, over, over the line? Right. So we had different colleagues and so forth in the industry who said, you know, if you, if you want us to kind of help push you over, we'll help push you over. So we're like, yeah, let's just push over the line, get the thing manufactured. We want to learn kind of how the, the manufacturing Chinese in China works. Um, understand the distribution. We really want to learn from it. Right. So instead of pulling the campaign, we just pushed it over. And I'm glad we did, quite frankly, because I we we learned we learned so much about the manufacturing and the distribution side that that was invaluable for then these next two campaigns. On the Queen of Scots game, we we did the exact opposite. We said, "How much do we need?" 
Um, we really didn't need even really need any funds on that one. We could have technically funded it on our own, but we still wanted to learn from it. So we set our goal at $500, uh, which is nothing, right? I mean, if you can't get $500 from your friends and family, you shouldn't even be launching on Kickstarter, right? So we, yeah, I mean, honestly, right? So we launched, we launched $500 and, and it did well. I mean, I think it landed at like 4,600 or something like that by the time it's done. And then another couple thousand with orders after that. Um, so for us, it was kind of building the inventory and using that campaign to help build your initial inventory. This campaign was the first one going into where we wanted, again, still learning and still learning a lot. And this is a journey, right? Like it is it, the, I've learned a ton from this podcast and talked with a lot of smart people, including yourself, uh, a lot of great advice. Um, but it was really kind of launching this coming in saying, okay, how can I employ some of these things we've learned and, and increase our chances? But again, only ask for what we need. So Jamie actually runs you through a very good math model in, in his book. And he says, you know, so take, for example, say your game is going to cost you $15,000 to make. And you've got $5,000 set aside to put into that game. Instead of going and asking for $15,000, ask for 10 and put your 5,000 in to hit that 15,000. And guess what? You're probably going to fund. You're going to have a lot of excitement around that. And hopefully you're going to go way beyond that goal. And then that's where kind of your profit's going to be. And I think that's a mistake a lot of people make is they kind of just almost see the numbers get greedy and say, I'm just going to put like 50,000. I know I can hit it. And then they haven't done any of the kind of homework, uh, you know, behind the scenes. And then they crash and burn. So that's literally what we did with, with the Nutty Squirrels. Cost, break even on this was 15000 Said a $10,000 goal. Had our 5000 set aside to put into it. And uh, it looks like based on the numbers, we're at least going to break even. I think we're probably going to do better than that. But at the very least, I think we're going to break even and, uh, and hit some of these stretch goals. So it's kind of just a different way of, of approaching it. And, you know, I, I, for me, it was... Uh, it's, it's, it's humbling. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I think you would probably agree with this with your campaigns when you've missed a goal, had to pull a campaign and kind of sit back and say, you know, what, what should I have done differently? Uh, it, it's, it's incredibly humbling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I like a lot of what you said, really figure out what that funding goal should be because people are excited when the, when the project funds and then Kickstarter is not a crowned, a crowd finding um, source. It's a crowdfunding source. And so I like that. Uh, earlier you teased uh, a project. You said you're working on something and then nutty squirrels kind of fell in your lap. And so you pushed that to the back burner. Can you tell us more about that project? Uh, what about the next project coming? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to, uh, it, we'll start kind of, <laughs> we'll start kind of leaking that one out and, and building an audience, uh, in the next, um, in the next little bit. So about three weeks into when we get near the end of this campaign, then we'll, we'll start seeding that. Cause again, I'm looking for a lot of feedback from, uh, from our group and from our audience. Um, and, um, but yeah, it'll be a dice drafting game. Uh, it's going to be what I call a medium weight. So all the games we've done so far have been what I call lightweight games. And, uh, and that one will be, um, be more heavier weight. So probably more of a, a two hour kind of timeline medium. So it's not too heavy. So you still can play with people probably 10 and up on that one. Um, but not too heavy where, you know, someone who's just getting into the industry is going to say, well, you know, I'm not, uh, this isn't for me. 
All right. So the one thing I want to say, and so this is now we're, we're off the, uh, the, the Facebook live. Um, but I'm going to throw this in here, uh, at least for the YouTube, maybe we'll put it into the audio podcast as well, but there are some people I want to thank that really influenced, uh, this campaign for me. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful. And I know there's gonna be some people I haven't mentioned in this. Um, but, uh, I'll find another way to thank those people as well. So, you know, as I said, I talked to the Jamie Stagmeyer stuff earlier, but the one thing he did say that I think I've really taken to heart with this launch was the don't hold yourself to an arbitrary timeline. Nothing bad will happen if you don't launch your campaign. Only bad stuff can happen if you launch a campaign where you're not ready. I've pushed this campaign back like four or five times. Originally, this was supposed to launch in September. And I just kept pushing it back, pushing it back. So it's like, no, still not ready, still not ready. Got to the point where it was ready to launch it. So I doubt Jamie's even going to see this video, but thank you to Jamie. Uh, great uh, feedback. Joe Slack on the solo mode. I said that earlier. Uh, Connor McGoey, who we interviewed, uh, who did Blocking Key Launch just recently. After that podcast, I chatted with him a little bit. He put me in contact uh, with a company in Quebec, Martin, who does the, uh, the French uh, preview video on our page. They also have, I think it's called Randolph uh, Game Distributing. Sorry if I got that, uh, that, that name wrong. Um, but what a great contact, great people. So the fact he's able to connect me to those people I thought was awesome. The idea of the early bird discount, uh, I stole from his campaign and it was great advice uh, because there's a way of being able to offer early bird incentives without offending a bunch of people. Because originally I was thinking, what kind of component can I put in this game that's only exclusive to people who, who, who come in on the first day? So his idea was way better. So I, I'm going to thank him for that. As I said, Andrew, uh, actually Andrew Burkett, one of the first interviews uh, from Artheris Entertainment that uh, one of the first interviews we did, super great guy. He and I talked for almost like an hour after our interview. He gave me so much uh, advice. I can't even remember it all. It was, I was like drinking from a fire hose. But the, he did connect me with Fun Again, uh, which was great. And uh, with Hit Point Sales, uh, great, great connection uh, to make there in the States. That leads me into Fun Again, who did a great job. Uh, they actually did an e-blast uh, for a small fee. They'll actually do an e-blast. I think they have something like 40,000 people on their e-blast list. So great investment if you're doing a campaign. Fun Again in terms of uh, their LinkedIn Hit Point Sales. If, so if you want to do uh, kind of brokering through them. But the Fun Again is a great, uh, great distributor. And they've got great marketing tools. Um, Todd Patrick Quinn. So we had him on, uh, from imagine all the, uh, the meat, imagine all the meeples, imagine all the meeples, yep. I think, right. And one of my favorite YouTube shows ever. Now I watch every single episode. I just absolutely love it. <laughs> the, uh, um, victory point labs, but he bailed me out cause he works for a prototyping company. The name is looting me right now. Uh, that does uh, game prototypes and so forth for like small uh, run. My manufacturer, because it was rushing into Chinese New Year, something got missed in the packing of the games and they didn't ship any of the yellow cubes. And I needed those yellow cubes to go to my reviewers. Uh, reached out to Todd literally the next day after the interview. said, hey, I really need your help. This just happened. Is there anything you can do? He was able to get cubes to me uh, within 48 hours uh, from nice. States to, to Canada and save my bacon on that because I got my, my games out to the, the previewers in time. All the previewers we had were great. Uh, we had Mick that was in the lobby listening. Uh, man, what a fun video to watch. I absolutely love the job they did. We game together. Great. Uh, learn to play. Of course, uh, Tantrum House are just absolute pros. Uh, and Cloak and Meeple, uh, their little skit on pistachios at the beginning of their video is just absolutely hilarious. So thank you to all of them. They all did amazing, amazing work. It really did justice to the game. Like after I watched that, I'm like, wow, that they did way better promote, like explain this game than I could have. Like that, this is fantastic. Um, 
I want to say uh, backer kit. Thanks to them. They're doing the marketing. Uh, so the, I know we've talked on this podcast in the past many times about doing social media amplification. Um, there are social media uh, amplifier for this campaign. They're doing a great job. Uh, Chandler uh, Copenhaver, who we've had on the show many times from CrowdOx, who got acquired by backer kit. He pulled me in uh, to get me connected with them. We're doing the pledge management through with uh, CrowdOx slash backer kit as well. So Chandler has uh, been giving some great advice in the background. He gave me great advice, quite frankly, Chandler, in our chat where I was doing a lot of pre-marketing, trying to get signups for the preview link. So, you know, when you have your campaign before it launches, you got your preview link, the coveted preview link that if you can get people to sign up to that, there's about a 15% conversion of people to sign up to that, they'll actually back you within the first two days. His advice to me was, yes, you can put your money into that, but it's better to put your money into gaining emails. Because if you can grow your email list, then you can use your email list to market to those same people for free to get them to sign up to the preview link. Because if they sign up to the preview link, they're going to be notified when the campaign goes live and 48 hours before it's done. That's it. You have no way to reach those people. If you get an email address, you own that contact, right? So until they unsubscribe because they don't like your, your emails or your spam, um, but you've got them. So great, great advice. Uh, he's a real pro. We've had him on the show. Super great guy. So thanks to Chandler. Uh, and uh, last one I had is just, I want to say Facebook groups. I know we didn't talk about this when we're on live with Facebook live, but um, it is super important uh, for new developers to really reach out and join as many Facebook groups as you can about board games. If you're a developer designer or whatever um, and contribute and do that way before you're ready to launch your game. Because those people, if you're contributing over the year, when it finally comes time for you to launch your game and put it out there, you're going to have a good number of them are going to let your promotion stay on the page. And they might even join in and say, yeah, I can't wait to see this. That's the difference between tanks and no thanks in this game. Tanks, but no thanks. I, all these same groups, you know, I join them as a new member, spam them right away uh, with my promotion because again, we had no time. We were already mid campaign. Most of them just said this is spam. We don't allow spam or promotion on our, our page. And I had maybe one or two picked it up. I had like eight on, on this run through of some very large Facebook groups that actually let my, my ad roll. Why? Because I've been contributing over the past now two years. And uh, I only put one up. I didn't, I'm not spamming. I put one up as an announcement. I'll probably do one more at the very end of the campaign when we're, you know, we got 24 hours left. So that's my piece. I know I just spent out probably 10 minutes of content there. <laughs> Um, but it's all good stuff, especially if you're looking to do uh, a game of your own. So, well, any final comments from you did? Yeah. I just want to thank everybody for your support. Uh, what a warm community. I have absolutely loved being part of this podcast. Just the, just the people you got to meet has been so cool. Like I have got to meet some really cool people. Kudos to you. People don't see your face enough. You're uh, behind the scenes, but man, are you ever driving the engine behind the scenes? Like I was 80% of the guests that we have on the show. It's Mike that lines them up. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the hard work. I'm just a guy, uh, asking a couple questions and letting the guests, uh, entertain people. So, uh, I want to thank you for that, Mike. It's, uh, it's been yep. awesome. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by Mike Bruner, produced by Mike Bruner and James Daly with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge. You'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us.
see you next time.